Uh, we're going to spend a little time going deeper into Bible study tonight in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. There was a little exercise in your Sunday school lesson this morning. If you didn't go to Sunday school, that's fine. I'm going to tell you about it. Um, and maybe if you were in Sunday school, you'll, you'll remember going through this in your book. It, uh, it spoke about Paul's last words to Timothy when he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I finished the course, and I have kept the faith. And uh, even though those weren't the very last words that Paul spoke with his dying breath, those were the last words toward the end of a book that he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. That is, he wanted Timothy to hear these words and to remember these words as Timothy continued in his life beyond the Apostle Paul being present with him on the earth. And the little exercise in the Sunday school lesson asked you to compare the last words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 with the last words of some other Bible characters. David's song in 2 Samuel chapter 23 where David is on his deathbed and he's He's uh, expressing thanksgiving to God for the life that he has, encouraging people to follow the Lord and to turn away from evil. And then it uh, asks you to, to look at Moses' last words in Deuteronomy chapter 33 with the blessing that he spoke over the entire nation of Israel. There in that chapter, Moses went through each of the tribes and spoke a blessing over them. Also gave them words of warning for what they should do and not do in living their lives under the covenant that they'd made with, with Jehovah. And then it asks you to look at Stephen's last words, that early deacon of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 53. Stephen was there giving a defense of the gospel that he and the early church believed in and proclaimed to all the people. And you'll remember that those really were his last words because after he preached that one, they stoned him, uh, killed him. So it didn't go over quite as well as Peter's did a few chapters earlier, right? And then uh, it asks you to also take a look at uh, some shorter last words that were spoken by a thief on the cross, dying next to Jesus in Luke chapter 23. And maybe you remember what that thief said to Jesus as he looked at him. He said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Obviously, Jesus responded with forgiveness and a promise that that very day that man would be with him in paradise. And so this, this little exercise kind of started to get my gears turning um, about what, what would I say if I had a chance to speak some last words? And I started to look, what would other people say what have other people said when it comes to their last words so it led to a really fun google search and uh, i'm not sure how many of those things could actually be accurate you know you've got all these little goofy websites that attribute some witty quote to somebody while they're dying there and uh, i'm not sure if the people would have been competent enough to utter those phrases or, or sentences but uh, a few that i found interesting in that little exploration um, were, uh, were these uh, it was it, it said that Elvis Presley, uh, at the end of his very last concert, not on his deathbed, but at the end of his very last concert, looked out at the audience and said, I hope I've not bored you, and then walked off the stage. Pretty good last words for Elvis, right? I think his life was all about 
not being boring. All right? And then another one I found interesting. I don't know if this was uh, uh, true or not. Um, and I can't say the French, but I've, I've got the English. Marie Antoinette, on her way to the guillotine during the French Revolution, stepped on one of the executioner's toes and said, pardon me, sir, I did not mean to. I guess she was being polite before they chopped off her head. I don't know. All right. And then uh, another one I found interesting. Uh, these were not words spoken in a dying breath on, a, on the deathbed, but uh, Karl Marx was asked by one of the housemaids what he wanted his last words to be. And as a famous author and a philosopher, surely he would have had something to profound to say. But instead he chided her and said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. I thought, man, that's, that's pretty good. And, uh, and then it, I really stopped and I thought, Wait, what would my last words be? Like, what would I want those things to be? So I want you to go through that little exercise with me tonight. Just think about it. Maybe you want to write something down. Maybe you don't want to because you don't want to think about your last words. But what would your last words be? If you knew you had the opportunity to speak one more sentence or to write one more phrase, what would you say or what would you write? I'll give you a minute or two to think about that. That's a pretty big question, isn't it? All right, I know that's a big question, and I gave you a short amount of time, but anybody have anything profound they want to share? Or any, anybody think they have something profound they want to share? If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Daryl would tell his children and his grandchildren to follow him. Think about that, let that soak in, that's good. All right. I'll assume that the rest of you have too many profound things to say, all right? But uh, here's, here's where my mind went next in this little process. Am I going to have the opportunity to say my last words and know that those are my last words? I mean, because I think more often than not, people probably don't realize this is the last thing I'm ever going to say while I'm alive on planet Earth. And so it led me to think like this. Every word that we speak should be spoken with the weight of eternity at stake. Every word we speak should be spoken with the weight of eternity at stake. And I think this is what Peter was getting at when he wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. In this passage, he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. What are these things? You know, if, you, if you look back at the very beginning of his letter, he talks about these things. He told, he told these believers in verse 10 that he wanted them to be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. He wanted them to have faith in Jesus and to add to their faith moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He wanted these qualities to abound in their lives. And he was willing to remind them of those things. 
constantly and consistently. So he says, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. In these four verses, we have three challenges from Peter of how we should speak and how we can speak every word with eternal weight. So here's the, the first challenge we have. It's found at verse 12. It's that we are to speak eagerly about faith. We are to speak eagerly about faith. Notice that he uses that wonderful word, always. We overuse the word always, don't we? I always do this, I always say that. But here, Peter meant what he wrote. He said, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. I think Peter had come to the point that he understood he might not get another chance to write another letter to, these group, to this group of Christians. He probably had in mind the idea that he wasn't guaranteed the privilege again to speak with these people. And so he took the time in this letter to remind them of what he wanted to remind them of always. To grow in their faith in Christ. He said that he would always be ready to remind them of these things, even though, even though they already knew about them. He wasn't sharing any new information with them. They had already been established in the truth as believers. That truth was living and dwelling within them. But Peter knew that if he was going to speak eagerly about his faith, that he had to say some of the th same things he had already said. In fact, I would say that most of the things you remember from your parents or your grandparents or a teacher or somebody that's made an impression in your life are some of the same phrases they said over and over and over again. And Peter is not telling them something he's not told them before. Sometimes the best things are things that have already been said. Sometimes the best things worth saying are things that have already been said. And so it, it may not be that we need to add any new verbiage or phrases to our vocabulary. It might just be that we need to constantly talk about those things that we already know. If Jesus is the truth and the truth doesn't change, why don't we talk about him even more? Are we always ready? Are we eager to talk with others about the faith? In my internet search for a... Uh, uh, for famous last words that people had spoken, I came across an interesting survey. The scientific quality of this survey was probably none, but it was interesting. They had taken a group of a few hundred adults um, out in California, and they had asked them this question. If you had the opportunity to speak with your closest family or friends and say one thing, 
before you died, what would you tell them? Anybody want to guess what it was? Just three words. I love you. I love you. Out of, out of several hundred adults, it was 90-something percent of these people would just want to tell their family and friends, I love you, one more time. Is it something that they had never said before to their family and friends? Probably not. Is it something that their family or friends had never heard before? Probably not. But it was important to them to share that with their family and friends. And it was important for them to allow their family and friends to hear that one last time. I love you. I've gotten in the, the bad habit. I say it's a bad habit. It might drive her nuts at some, some time. But anytime Steph will call me on the phone, the last thing I'll say to her before she hangs up is I love you. And so sometimes I'll have to call her like three times while she's at Walmart because of, you know, we need this, we need this. And every time before I hang up the phone, all right, see you at home in a little bit, love you. And it's just the habit that I've that I, not forced myself into. I just I want her to know that I love her. And so I say it all the time. When it comes to thinking about our last words on earth, what would we say? I would dare say that you would say something that you've said many times before. And it might not be I love you. It might be a phrase or expression that's very common to your heart and to your mind. But I do want to ask you this question as you think about speaking eagerly about faith. If today was your last day on earth, would anyone have heard about Jesus or would anyone have heard about God's love? If today was your last day on earth, would anyone have heard about Jesus? Would anyone have heard about God's love? And that's not to make you feel awful about yourself. That's just to steer you in the right direction. If we want our last words to count for eternity, then we've got to speak eagerly about faith all the time. And then the second point of instruction, the, the challenge that Peter gives to these believers is in verse 13 and 14. He tells them he considers it right. That is, he considers it the, the good thing to do or to say. That as long as he is in this earthly dwelling, that is, as long as he had a physical body about him, that air could pass <coughs> from his lungs and through his throat and across his vocal cords, that he would stir them up by way of reminder. That is, he would say something to inspire them as he reminded them of the things they already knew. He wanted not just to tell them information, he wanted to call them to action. And he says this, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, that is, the time is coming when I'm not going to be in this physical body anymore, and it's coming soon, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He was encouraging these believers to speak not just eagerly about the faith, but earnestly about the faith. There are times when we joke around and we laugh and we smile and we cut up. And Peter certainly did that with his Christian friends, I have no doubt. But there was also times when Peter had to challenge these followers of Christ about the seriousness of their commitment to Jesus. And he reminds them of those things as he writes these words in verses 13 and 14. The time was coming for Peter when he wouldn't be with them, that he would go to be with the Lord. 
And that's why he was reminding them of the things they already knew and challenging them to keep challenging one another to remind, them of, remind themselves of these things. We are to speak earnestly about the faith. It's the right thing for us to do. If we truly believe in Jesus, we ought to be sharing our faith in Him with others around us. If we believe that Jesus is the way to eternal life, why would we not use our time on this earth to talk about the life that we have in Him? We speak earnestly about the faith. Christian tradition, not in the New Testament, but outside of the New Testament, has it that Peter was crucified for following Jesus and pro proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when it came time for him to be crucified, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior. Whether that was the case or not, we have no doubt that from reading Peter's writing here, his faithfulness and commitment to Jesus Christ was serious. He had chosen to live his life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every movement, every word that was spoken to bring honor and glory to his Lord. And because of that, it wasn't just that he was telling others to live for Jesus, is that he himself was living for Jesus. The only way to live for Jesus is to constantly speak of him and faith in him. So here's a question for you to think about in speaking earnestly about the faith. If today was your last day on earth, would you be ready to see Jesus and give an account for the words you spoke today? If today was your last day on earth, would you be ready to see Jesus and give an account for the words that you have spoken today? Again, we may not know when our last words are going to be uttered. But that's why we speak earnestly about the faith. Because every word should have the weight of eternity at stake. And then the third challenge found in verse 15 that Peter gives to these believers and that we can apply to our own lives is this. And he said, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. There was a time coming when Peter would no longer be with this group of people to say the things that he wanted to say. They wouldn't be able to hear his voice. They would be able to read his writings, but he wouldn't have any new writings to share with them because he would be gone. But he wanted to speak to them with eternity in mind so that after his death, the things that he talked about and the things that he emphasized, the truths that he taught, were still rolling around in the hearts and minds of these believers. I sum it up by saying we should speak effectively about the faith. We should speak eagerly about the faith, we should speak earnestly about the faith, but we should also speak effectively about the faith. Peter didn't just kind of come at it half-hearted and think, well, these people are get it or they won't. I don't really have to spend much time thinking about what I'm going to say or how I'm going to present this message. No, he says that he would be diligent. That is thorough, well thought out, prepared, 
ready to share with them these truths that he was teaching to them. Because he knew it was important for them to remember these truths even after he was gone and no longer able to remind them with his own mouth. If he would be able to impart this information into their minds, it would become truth that would transform their lives. And the only way for that to happen was for him to be diligent in the way that he communicated about his faith with them. One of the very first funeral services, well, this was the very first funeral service I did by myself. I had helped Brother Mark, our previous pastor, with a few funeral services. But the very first one I had ever done by myself, I had a call from Chris Warden down at Bryan Funeral Home. And he said, Jake, we have a family here who's requested a Baptist preacher to, uh, to officiate the service. Uh, w- would you be able to do so? They don't have a, a church. I said, yeah, Chris, I, I, I'll, I'd be honored to do that. I said, I'm not going to be able to make the visitation because we're coming back from seminary in, in Memphis. Um, I said, but, but I'll be there before the service on Friday morning and be able to talk with the, um, with the family and kind of get to know uh, this gentleman and, and see if they have any you know, scripture verses, anything in particular that they want me to say. And I hung up the phone with Chris and then I thought, oh no, what have I got myself into? You, the family has requested a Baptist minister. Well, where's their Baptist minister? Right? I thought, man, these people had not been going to church. This guy who's died hasn't been going to church. And then I thought, if he hadn't been going to church anywhere, well, I hope he knows Jesus. It's kind of too late to ask him that question at that point. But I thought, man, this might be a really hard funeral service. And so I pray Thursday night, and I get in the car Friday morning and head down to the funeral home to go meet his three sons and his one daughter, all grown at that point. And I just, I kind of pulled them aside, got some thoughts about their dad, funny stories that they wanted to share, uh, quotes, characteristics, just, just anything they could tell me about him so I could include and in, in paying honor uh, to his life. And then towards the end of each of those four conversations, I just asked the question, I said, hey, could you tell me, I, I didn't have the privilege to know your dad, did your dad have a relationship with Jesus? And... The responses were strange and sad. One son in particular, I remember, kind of tilted his head, you know, like a dog does when he's curious about something that he doesn't understand. And he said, well, I mean, Dad believed in Jesus. It was kind of, Dad thought Jesus was real. And I went, oh, no. I couldn't stand up in the pulpit and assure this family that they would see their their dad in heaven again one day because he had given his life to Christ and followed him because I didn't know that and none of those four children could tell me that he had chosen to follow Jesus none of them it was a hard service to preach and after I got home I called my dad on the phone and I said hey I know that you've told me about the day that you got saved, but here's the deal. I had to preach a funeral service just now for a a man who was older, and none of his four kids could tell me with any certainty that he knew Jesus. 
I said, so even if you don't want me to preach your funeral, that's fine. But if the preacher comes and asks me if you knew Jesus, I want to be able to say, yeah, my dad knew Jesus. Here's when he gave his life to him. And so my dad walked me through that process again. One Sunday afternoon after church, he had gone to sit out in a white car with uh, one of his friends. And his friend's dad had come out and he prayed in that car to trust Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. But I remember thinking, man, that's a lot to have to think about. I'm sure that's a weight and a burden that weighed upon the hearts of those family members that really didn't have to be there in the first place. I challenge you with this as you think about speaking effectively about the faith. If today was your last day on earth, would people know that you had gone to be with Jesus by the way that you lived? by the actions you performed and by the words that you spoke. If today was your last day on earth, would people know that you had gone to be with Jesus? So I'll share something interesting with you. Funeral services are, are never easy. They're just not. But the hard ones are when you can't say, this person knew Jesus Christ. And man, look, I hope that I don't have to bury any of you for a long time, okay? But reality is this. There is coming a time when your life will end. And you'll either go to be to heaven with the Lord in paradise, or you'll be separated from Him in hell in a place of punishment. When that time comes, are we going to have to come together and Sit down and talk with your family members and friends and go, well, you know, did they really know Jesus Christ? Or are we going to know? They knew Jesus. They told people about Him. In fact, they, they were baptized. This date, we've got it on the church record. They, they were a church member here. They faithfully followed the Lord. If today was your last day on earth, would people around you know that you had gone to be with Jesus? You've got to learn to speak effectively about the faith. Because every word carries with it the weight of eternity. It may be something small that you say to somebody and you don't ever think about it again. But it might just change your life. It might be something big that you say over and over and over again, trying to teach a child or a student or give some friends some advice, and it just seems like it goes in one ear or out the other, or that it hits a brick wall and bounces right back at you. But it might be that big mantra of your life that you repeat over and over and over and over and over again to them that finally one day sets off the spiritual light bulb in their mind so that they come to faith. And so that they come to faithfully follow the Lord. When you speak today, when you speak tomorrow, when you speak throughout this week, what will you say? How will you make it count? We need to speak eagerly, earnestly, and effectively about the faith. Because every word has the weight of eternity at stake. Would you bow your heads with me? We'll pray together. God, we thank you so much 
for the opportunity we have to come together tonight and study your word. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to speak with the weight of eternity in mind. God, we may not be famous people, and we may not utter famous last words that can be published in a book or found in an internet search. But God, we want our words to count for eternity. We want our lives to have an impact and an influence in the lives of other people around us. And so God, I pray that as we speak earnestly about the faith, that others would know who you are. As we speak eagerly about the faith, that we would be ready to give an account to you for how we've lived, for what we've said. And as we speak effectively about the faith, that other people would be impacted and touched in such a way that when they think back upon our lives and remember what we said and how we lived, they would know that you are real and that we would be with you for eternity. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray.